4: the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, the first of a two-part look at breast cancer from the eyes of two women who battle the cancer that disproportionately impacts Black women. While Black and white women get breast cancer at the same rate, the mortality rate for Black women is 40% higher than for white women. But that's not the only connection these women have. Lisa Johnson and Ananda Lewis were also hosts of the popular BET program Teen Summit. Johnson was the original host when the show debuted in 1989. After her departure, Ananda Lewis would helm the show for three seasons. Both became independent, strong role models, especially for young Black women. Now they're new role models for the fight against cancer. I asked them to appear together to talk about their personal journey and to share with other women ways to be proactive in observing their bodies and being vigilant about early detection. I started by asking Lisa to share her story. So in
1: 2014, uh, I was d- diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma, and that's um, you know, a pretty pr- um, aggressive form of breast cancer on one side, I, I ended up getting, um, a double mastectomy. I opted to do that because I just didn't want to think about, you know, just, I didn't want to worry. And so, um, I had some complications with that, you know, ended up back in the hospital with blood clots above my knee. Um, I ended up, um, uh, in the hospital, you know, needing like two blood transfusions. And, um, then I had, um, chemotherapy for almost six months, lost my hair, the whole deal, you know? Um, and, uh, and then I went through four more subsequent surgeries because my surgeries didn't heal properly. Uh, I think partially they said because of the chemotherapy, I got what's called necrosis, which is like hardening, um, of the, uh, reconstructive surgery that I had, and also had axillary surgery where they removed 28 lymph nodes and four of them were found to be cancerous, which is why I had to get chemotherapy. The journey itself, um, today I am cancer-free, thank God. Um, and I count it as like six years cancer-free, but it was, it was, an, it was a nightmare. Um, and you know, the Do only- you
4: your family? Is there no, a history of it?
1: No. No, my mother does not have never never had it um, that I know of. My grandmother's did not have it. I did find out later that you know some distant cousins were diagnosed, and they didn't share until they heard my story, which I find interesting. I don't understand where people. I mean, everybody's journey is different, obviously. Right. I always felt like my journey would be used to help other people, and there was no question in my mind that I was going to get through it because my faith is the thing that kept me the entire time. But no, no. um, My my brother um, has multiple myeloma, which is cancer of the blood, which is crazy. He was diagnosed the same time I was. Um, So, and is still going through it because there's really no cure or treatment. There's a treatment, but there's no official cure. Um, So no, it was a shock to me. It was a shock to everybody. Um, But I'm just so happy that I'm here. And, you know, life looks different for me now.
4: Ananda Lewis did have a history of cancer in her family. Her mother was diagnosed. In October of 2020, Ananda went on social media and made this announcement.
3: I am sharing this with you today because it's the beginning of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I have been fighting to get cancer out of my body for almost
4: two years. Ananda, let me turn to you. Uh, yours is more recent, at least, your, your knowledge of it. And I thought it was interesting that when you decided to go public, um, you know, you and I have been texting a little bit. Just the response that, that you got. Um, and I know, as Lisa just alluded to it isn't always easy for any of us to go public uh, with health issues and the like. So give us a little snapshot, if you will, of, of your journey and and why you decided to uh, be as public as you've been.
3: Um, you know, it's funny, Ed, when you asked me that my mind just immediately flashed to us riding in the car together to the um, BT 40th. And I for all these two years that I'd been kind of processing it and dealing with it and working on healing it um, myself, with you know the help of a few doctors, um, it was hard. wasn't hard for me to talk about. I didn't want that to be what my life was about, right? I didn't because once people know that, and I know that now, because now people know it. That's what your life becomes about to everybody, and that is not the totality of my life. It's something happening in my life, right? But it, I refused from the very beginning to let it just take over everything, you know? And so I was thinking, even as I rode with you, I was like, you know, this is someone I could tell, but nobody else it would be crazy to just say them. I had so many thoughts running through my head with you. And there were a couple other situations of people I saw who, you know, I, I care for and I have history with. And I was like, dang, I should say something. But I just never did until I, I posted that video because, Like you said, it is very personal. And it's also, um, for me, the energy was important. I didn't want to start opening up information to anybody um, and then be responsible for what I would get back because I was being so diligent about um, keeping myself in this kind of energetic bubble of of joy. And I was never afraid of this, so I didn't have the fear assault me like I know a lot of people, like my mom did when, when she dealt with it. The fear is a big motivating factor, right? In terms of doing things quickly and getting things handled and making decisions, and I didn't—I wanted to just know that I was thinking um, really, really clearly and not through fear. So, one of the things I was also protecting myself against was other people's concern and fear. You know, people who care about you hear something like this and freak out. Mm-hmm. Um, my my mom freaked out, you know, on me, and I like was like, "Listen, can't stay here and act like that." And we had a moment, but. I think that was really, um, for me, the sharing was about not wanting to have all these individual conversations, but also really feeling like I had come to a point where I recognized where I had gone wrong and um, what, I had, what I could have done differently. And when I realized what I could have done differently, I also realized this is what every woman who is out there thinking like me could do differently still. like They still have a chance to not have this be so far gone when they catch it. Mm-hmm. And that's for me it became my responsibility to to share that. I think it's really easy to just, you know, always look good and have this image of perfection social media has somehow convinced us we need to have, but the reality is we're human and we're flawed and we mess up and things go wrong and life is not perfect and stuff is hard and you can get through it. And if nobody's saying that, then how do we really know it? You know? So I don't know. I feel like Lisa and I have, have definitely for decades now been um, a voice that especially women who look like us look to. And it was important for me to use that opportunity, use that voice and say something so that other women didn't have to at least, you know, at least they had an opportunity. They go make whatever decision they make, but they had an opportunity to choose differently based on my experience.
4: You talked about it a little bit when you put the video out, but tell folks who may have missed that the idea of what you now say you did wrong.
3: So I refused mammograms for, um, gosh, seven years. I mean, the whole time I was supposed to be getting them, I was like, no, thank you. And that was because I saw my mom doing it exactly the way she was told to for I don't know, a good 30 years. And then at the end of that, she still ended up being diagnosed with breast cancer. And I had read the studies. I'm you know, aware of the information that radiation exposed to the human body or the human body exposed to radiation, that exposure can create problems. And I believe that to the extent that I connected her exposure to radiation and the mammograms to her getting cancer. I can't say that that's not true. But what I can say is that that little bit of radiation exposure is worth it in the end, so that you can get the information you need. So it's the risks and benefits, you know, equation. And I just didn't really understand that. I was dead set against it. I, uh, at the t- by the time I felt a lump in my breast, which is how I detected the breast cancer my body's dealing with, I um, went to get a thermography scan. And that's, you know, a, a heat sensing camera that can find areas of heat. heat uh, cancer gives off more heat. Than other areas of your body, so it can detect it. Now it's not as great of a diagnostic tool as a mammogram. Uh, ironically, I still have not had a mammogram because of my stubbornness. I skipped right over it. My I went straight to a biopsy because I actually found a sizable tumor. So, um, you know, I I went from from not wanting to do mammograms at all to not being eligible for them because I had to do something way worse and there was a moment in there where I would have done one. And my sister, who's a physician, was constantly on me. She was like, listen, mommy had it. You have to get a mammogram. I was like, whatever. I wouldn't listen to her. I wouldn't listen to, you know, I know I'm stubborn. And so I, you know, I just, I just never, I never did it. So I ended up getting the biopsy. They ended up telling me, actually, Lisa and I had the same kind of uh, breast cancer. I, uh, the invasive ductal carcinoma and mm -hmm, and in my right breast, I don't know which yours was, um, left. And I was triple negative, and all these other kind of you know beneficial things that just meant that it's not as aggressive, may not move as fast. And because of all those test results and information, I felt like you know what? I'm not doing any of that yet. I I really have always fundamentally believed in, and I felt like I was an herbalist in high school. I used to take herbs and mix them and try to do all kind of crazy stuff. I've always felt like there's something on the planet that can fix anything that happens to the human body. I don't know how true that is anymore, but that's what I. Believe for all these years, and I lived like that. You know, I thought I ate pretty healthy. Turns out I didn't. But I wanted to do the things that I felt like would support my body's ability to heal itself, because we do live in healing machines. Um, do you need to weigh some sanity against what, like how much your body can heal? Yeah, I'm learning. But I, I had had a fantastic experience, you know, if I can label it that, with experimenting with myself, I've kind of been my own guinea pig for uh, guinea pig for two years, and really figuring out what my tolerances are, what my body's capable of, what will work, what won't. I um, did not do the surgery. I did not do the chemo in that same way. I didn't do um, conventional chemo. Uh, and I didn't do radiation. All of those were recommended to me, but I decided that because it wasn't fast moving, because I didn't feel panicked. I didn't feel like I have to do something now, even though the doctors were definitely, I mean, they'll put that pressure on you. Like we need to do something in three weeks.
1: Right. That's what they
3: kept telling me. We've got to move now. And I was like, why you're telling me that this has been here for eight years. We didn't do nothing in eight years. (laughs) Why we got to do something in three weeks. My logic just kept standing in the way, like my own personal logic. So I started on the path of changing everything internally. And so far so good.
4: Here's what's interesting to me. I, I, I can't say that I know either one of you really, really well. Right. I know you enough. I know the surface personalities of both. Mm-hmm. And to see how you faced it really speaks to your personalities. Lisa, I know how big of a role faith plays in your life. Um, and Ananda, I, I know this sense of your wanting to understand what's going on and finding for yourself and and knowing you know, you were one of those people early on who, like you said, even in high school before I knew you, you know, were very holistic. And so it's it's not surprising that you take it on. But I want to make sure that we we do two things. It is because we want to put best face forward on this kind of thing because, you know, a, a positive attitude is helpful. But it is a battle, is it not?
1: Absolutely. And you know what? Let me just say this too: two things. Um one, I did not share my diagnosis until after my chemo was completely over because I, like Ananda, didn't want that to deliver that bad news to so many people. That's the hard part. And yeah. then also, I got mammograms religiously every single year and I had curious um, results mm-hmm. a number of times where I had to come back every three months, every six months because they mm-hmm. saw something and they attributed it to um, dense breast tissue, but it probably was cancer. So it's also important to, you know, uh, to be really vigilant and find out who's reading your mammograms too. So you mm. know, even if you're getting them, you don't really know.
4: When we return, the personal toll the fight takes, continuing to be a mom through all of it, and why they try to look out for others first, even during these trying times.
5: LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to twenty-five percent your first year at LifeLock.com/news. That's LifeLock.com/news to save up to twenty-five percent. Identity theft protection starts here.
0: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
4: There are going to be days that I would suspect, um, you know, you do maybe not wallow in why me, but think about why me, there are going to be days that you don't want to, to face it. I'm, I'm assuming
1: oh, at
4: least know. that's the way my punk ass would handle it. Sure. <laughs> but, but tell me about how you, how you, you know, either face those days or just refuse to let them in or whatever, whatever it is.
1: Um, for me, um, as soon as I heard the diagnosis, I, I, I literally, and I, I did a video di- journal. The entire uh, journey, I found that to be pretty um, uh, therapeutic for me. But I, you know, I said, you know what? I, I want to be able to use this experience to help other women, and and thank God have been able to do that um, by offer always offering to talk. Because that was that's one thing too. You just want to know as much as you can know from other people, hear their experiences. What did they go through? How did they deal with this? You know, did their nails turn black? I mean, you know, all those types of things. And yeah, there were some really dark days. There were some really, really dark days. Um, I, I'll be honest. I mean, I, sometimes I cried myself to sleep, mm-hmm. not just because um, I wasn't wallowing in pity. I never did that. And even my kids have said to me, because I think they were ages 13, 16 and nine. And, you know, even when I told them and, and they think back now, like literally my oldest son, who's now 26 said, Forgot you had cancer, and he said that's because we never saw you as sick. You know, I didn't walk around with my head hanging down, or uh, even after chemo, you know, being exhausted and tired and can't get warm and all that. But I never saw it like that. I just saw it as something I'm going to get through, and literally, like leaned on God, like God, you got to get me through this. I I I can't deal with this. Um, and then, you know, with all the other things, all the other things that life throws at you at the same time, because you don't stop being a mom, you know, I, I wrote this article for the HuffPost about how to tell your kids about cancer. And my um, my youngest son, I knew he was okay when he said, well, who's going to take me to basketball practice? And who's going to make <laughs> my lunch? I was like, oh yeah, you'll be good. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so it's so much about your attitude, I think, mm-hmm. that 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 helps you if you have a positive outlook and you, you look forward to things, I was continuing to work, you know, I was continuing to sell real estate as much as I could and and keep busy and do whatever I could. And of course I had a village of people that really surrounded me, my friends, my family, um, who cooked for me, who, you know, they ever had a schedule of sending me food and send a chef and housekeepers and watch the kids and my parents, you know, my sister dropped her four kids for like months and just came to live with me because she's a critical care nurse. And so uh, all of that helped me to get through, but it, it is a harrowing experience and I can't imagine somebody going through it without some type of support.
4: Yeah. What about you? How, how did you handle or how are you handling, you know, the days that may be a little bleaker than the other?
3: I, gosh, you know, the hardest part for me so far on this entire journey from January, 2019, when the doctor said, told me what she told me to today was the 16 weeks I just spent away from my son. Mm
0: -hmm. I hadn't
3: been away from him more than a weekend for his entire life. And that didn't start till he was five (laughs) when his dad started to take him on the weekends. And I I mean, we were like, he was literally on my hip his whole life. And so I felt like I was ripping myself away from him. I knew I was doing it for the right reasons, um, but it was painful. It was more painful than any of the treatments I've gone through. I've had needles stuck in my tumor. And yeah, I mean, I have a lot, I've had a lot of stuff done, but I, that was where my, my most, the 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 highest pain came from because I, it, the separation was so, it was, mm. it was just, you know, I was full of anguish. Those 16 weeks being without him. And I, I just came back from the 16 weeks right before Christmas. So I, I made it home in time for Christmas and that was great. But, you know, It also has been a really amazing learning opportunity for me. I, uh, as I've said, uh, and we'll probably say a thousand more times, I'm super stubborn. I had my child on my hip because I would not let him go. Right. And that's just an, it's, it's not unnatural, but it certainly is unhealthy, right? I mean, I think as children grow, they need to have natural separation from parents. They need to start developing their own sense of themselves and the world without you. All of that, I was resisting, quite honestly. I just didn't want, I was like, no, it's my baby, is my only one. I don't know if it's different with having three, Lisa. I know your nine-year-old was my son's age You know now. Yeah. Uh, At the same time. So that age is interesting. Anyhow, they're kind of growing and maturing in an interesting spot. And, you know, I was forced to leave. Do you want to live? Get your butt out of here and go get some some actual treatment. And so I was like, you got to go. And his father took care of him like fully, you know, full time for that whole time. And what that allowed was for their relationship to develop and blossom in different ways, for him to get some independence for me, for me to see that part of the reason I even God in this situation is not prioritizing myself and my health, putting everybody else's stuff ahead of my own to handle, to care for, to to be attentive to. And what about me? Like I had to really focus on myself. And it was life-changing in so many ways, not just in a healing way, but in an emotional and in a a mental strength kind of way, but in also a self-care kind of way, and really understanding why that's important and what that looks like for me. You know, since I've come back, I've, I've uh, committed to a uh, week on week off and I never thought I would do that. I never would have done that were it not for this experience because I was holding on so tight. So for me, when I look at the whole kind of landscape of this, I see some huge lessons and opportunities, um, that I was missing. Right. It was like life. God was going, Hey, you need to um, loosen up a little bit. I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I'll find the way I'm a, I'm a hardcore. Right. And I said, uh, I'm going to need you to let go of the reins a little bit. I'm good. I'm not. No, I'm good. Let go. You know, it was like the more I did listen, the harder the lesson got and the harder the knocking on the door became. And finally, I listened. And now I understand that I can listen at the whisper. I don't have to wait for my door to get knocked down anymore. And that was big for me because... I'm so
4: stubborn. Or you could have listened to me when we were in the car. We were talking about your son, and I said, Let that boy do that. <laughs> I you didn't have to, to have God whisper to you. I tried to tell you. God but, was well. working through you. <laughs> to tell me. Next week, part two with Lisa and Ananda. We'll continue our discussion about breast cancer. We'll get into why women must be their own medical advocates, why cancer can be more concerning simply because you're black, and We'll talk about BET and the good old days. 100 is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media.
1: So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play Stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.
0: Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh?
1: Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country.
5: Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. (laughs) Ah,
0: love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I